Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. I've been excited to study this passage and preach this message for a few weeks now. Uh, Each week, we're looking at a different aspect of the way of Jesus. We're trying to see how Jesus did things. What what is the way in which he went about the different aspects of life? And this morning, what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to just really seal and deposit into our hearts is this idea of the way that Jesus received. The way Jesus received. Here in this lengthy passage that we read at the end of chapter 1 into chapter 2, we have three beautiful displays, among many others with the multitudes coming to him, but, but some beautiful displays of the way that Jesus would listen closely, receive, and welcome all who came to him. And specifically, here's what it says in Mark. I love this verse. Jesus welcomed those who came to him from where? From every direction. That's certainly what we saw here. Like almost literally, we saw people coming to Jesus from every direction, from the ceiling, (laughs) from a tax office, and even from the floor in a prostrate position imploring Jesus to be healed. This is a passage that shows us, listen closely, the wide range of ways to come to Jesus. They're coming to Jesus from every single different direction in Jesus is welcoming them unto himself. This radical receptivity. I love this. This is a good reminder, I think, for all of us to just be refreshed on the fact, and and here's the principle, there are many ways to come to Jesus. A lot of times we can be exclusive, especially as Christians, maybe because of our experience or our church traditions, and we can create like this single track path, one direction, boy band theology, where, where we give one direction of people's path to the Lord. And, and it's very exclusive. We sort of limit what God can do. Now, let's be sure about this. The Bible teaches that there is one way to the Father. We know this, right? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a way. He's not a truth. He's not a lifestyle. He is the way. He is the truth and he is the life and no man can come to the Father except through Jesus because only Jesus has built that bridge. Righteousness, religion, good works, self-discovery can't connect us to the Father. Jesus can. But listen, there's one way to the Father, but there are many ways to Jesus. Each of us in this room, I'm sure even though we might have our own similarities, we've all come to Jesus from different directions, haven't we? So many different journeys, so many different experiences. It's so important to remember this, that there is a variety of ways for people to come to know the Lord. A lot of times we can create these systems of salvation. Do you know what I mean? Where you got to look like this. You got to vote like this. You got to dress like this. You got to attend like this. You got to be saved like this. Did you pray the prayer? Did you come forward to the altar? Did you relocate in that room unto salvation? And we can sort of create these systems that are more cultural rather than biblical. What you see here in the scriptures is that the Holy Spirit is so creative in how he brings people to Jesus. 
Like right now, maybe you're in a place where you go, I don't know how I can get to Jesus because of where I am. And maybe in your mind, you're like, I've got to go through all these different things to get to where he is. And I hope the fresh vision you have from this passage today is Jesus is as accessible as the turn of your eyes. He's as accessible as the longing in your heart. He's as accessible as the reach of your hand. They came to him from every direction. I mean, here is the principle, the biblical truth that's holding up everything we're seeing in this passage. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 6, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Well, I didn't come to Jesus this way or that way. It's okay. Have you come to Jesus? Here's the thing that your heart should be assured of. Jesus has never rejected a single person who's come to him. And he's not going to start with you. He welcomes all who step into his presence. The language here in John chapter 6, Jesus is saying, I, I will, it says there by no means, he's saying, I will never, no matter what you've done, no matter how far away you've walked, no matter how stuck you are, no matter how faithless you've become. Nothing is going to keep me from accepting you. Nothing is going to keep me from welcoming and receiving you, regardless of what direction you come to me from. <clears throat> and here in this passage, we have three characters that I have pastorally all defined with the letter L, who come to Jesus. We have the story of a leper. We have the story of a lame man a.k.a. a paralytic, as a youth pastor, I would say this, and people would be like, oh, lame man, he's so lame. No, like, the guy's got issues, okay? Don't make fun of him. He's a lame man. He's paralytic. He's got debility, uh, disability. He's struggling. Physical challenges. He's a paralytic, a leper, a lame man, and a Levi, a guy named Levi. Just a Levi. Many Levi's in that culture. This is a Levi, okay? Three L's. I work really hard at this. I hope you know that. Okay, I love you enough to alliterate these things. <clears throat> You're like, nobody asked for that, Andrew. Okay, it's fun. All right. These three individuals all come to Jesus. And let's look at each of these, because we just studied it a little bit more in depth. Let's come back around. And I want us to, I want us to look at um, the way Jesus received each person here and what it shows us about the way Jesus receives. And this will be applicable to us. Hopefully we'll see ourselves in the story as those that need to come to Jesus. But it'll also be applicable for the friends and family and neighbors in your life that the Lord wants also to come to him. This will be helpful for us to think about the heart of God and its implications for humanity. So the leper, the lame man, and the Levi. The first, a Levi. The first character that we see in coming to Jesus and the first thing we learn about how Jesus received an individual is here with the leper. And you can write this down. As this leper comes to Jesus, what we learn about Jesus is we learn the way that he receives the unreceivable. He receives the unreceivable. This is the gospel truth displayed in this account. That Jesus receives a culturally unreceivable outcast in the form of a leper. It tells us that in verse 40 that a leper came to him. 
This is the first account of any leper coming to Jesus. At this time, Jesus' ministry is growing. His platform is expanding. His notoriety is spreading. People are hearing about this miracle worker, this prophet, this healer. And you imagine this man who Luke says, Luke is a physician, and so Luke uses like doctor language, and he says he was a man full of leprosy. So this isn't someone who just became a leper. This is somebody who has been battling their condition of leprosy for we don't know how many years. It certainly is at least a decade. When we, when we kind of study the history of leprosy and its, and its timeline of, of, um, of how it rolls out, to be someone full of leprosy means that you have been facing this ailment for a long time. Time. And so this is the man that comes to Jesus. But we need a little bit of context. This, is not, this isn't exactly the ailment, the physical ailment of our culture and our day. Leprosy, be known to a lot of us, is still a common ailment that people struggle with, mostly in the eastern side of the world. It's commonly referred to in this day and age as Hansen's disease. And the first thing that we can sympathize with this leprous man over is really the physical pain that a leper would find themselves in. Just as a quick description of leprosy, uh, it was and still is today an extremely painful, grotesque, and contagious disease that affects the skin, the mucous mem membranes, and the nervous system, causing discoloration on the body. These lumps and open sores and wounds on the skins on the skin, and in severe cases, as leprosy grows, it always does, it can cause disfigurement or even dismemberment. Now, the physical pain would, would be something that makes, and is something that makes leprosy hard enough, but the stigma around leprosy and the history in Israel around leprosy and the Levitical laws even around leprosy tied into sort of the cultural shame of leprosy is what made it the hardest. Not the physical pain, but the emotional pain of this disease. In the law, leprosy was something that was to be confirmed ultimately by the priest. There's a whole system in Leviticus that describes sort of this evaluation period. If someone thinks that, if someone has kind of a spot or two that potentially could be leprosy, they were expected to report themselves to the priest who would begin this examination process to determine whether or not, you know, no, those are just hives, you know, or that's a scab, or that's a bug bite. No, that's leprosy. There was a long, lengthy process. It wasn't something done kind of um, frivolously. It was something that was so, the implications of having leprosy were so significant in the culture that we want to make sure we're doubling down and triple testing whether or not you have it. If an individual was confirmed to be a leper, essentially their life began to end. Everything about their life. Um, certainly their vocational life came to an end. An end. Um, their social life came to an end. Worst of all, their family life came to an end. As a leper, you were someone who was required to isolate yourself as a contagious, at this point even, almost a creature outside of the camp and outside of the society. You weren't to be within 50 paces of another individual. And if someone so happened to stumble upon you, which that wouldn't happen because they would smell you at a distance, because of how severe this condition was, you were required to scream out, unclean, 
unclean. Don't come near me. I'm a leper. The physical pain is hard enough, but the emotional shame that came with leprosy is unlike anything we could imagine. I mean, just imagine being this guy. Who knows when he first started to see his first spot? And maybe he covered it up, and he was like, no, I'm just going to, if I don't look at it, maybe it'll go away, kind of a thing. And as it continued to grow, and he would present himself, he finally maybe told his wife, she said, you got to go to the priest. We know what the law says, and as he presented himself to the priest, you imagine hearing this news, you can no longer touch your children. You can no longer be a member of society. You are unclean. The isolation that was a result, and Beyond that, there was so much spiritual stigma around leprosy. So if you were a a person of leprosy, and we see that in the Gospel of John, you were considered as someone who was cursed by God. So that was the stigma. You're cursed by God. That was the the lie in the culture. And, And because of that, you were mocked, you were despised, you were cursed, you were ridiculed. I mean, there's not a more difficult and painful and sad condition of life. Worst of all, There's no cure. So you're in this state of leprosy and you're stuck there, separate from your family, separate from society, out as an outcast on the outside, stuck in this condition. And it becomes your whole, listen, it becomes your identity. What you used to be good at, the father you were, the husband you were, the neighbor you were, it doesn't matter anymore. This condition becomes all that you are. So imagine this. This leper hears that people are coming to the home of this woman where this man is, and they're coming in with their sicknesses, they're coming to the door with their ailments, and they're leaving cured. They're leaving healed. He's hearing the testimony, he's hearing the story. I want you to imagine the scene, too. It doesn't say that this leper comes to him by night, which is what you would expect. A leper coming to Jesus amongst a crowd of people. I almost imagine there was like this expectation in the room as the leper's approaching. And kind of like the seas are parting. And everyone's like, he's he's healed this. He's opened blind eyes. Peter's wife's mom was sick, laid up in bed, and now she's on her feet cooking dinner. He's done all these great things. He's cast out demons. We've seen his authority. And as the leper comes near, people are like, I wonder if he can do this. And the leper approaches Jesus in this prostrate posture of desperation. He's lost everything. And he implores Jesus. He begs Jesus. Notice his profession of faith. If you are willing you can make me clean. So, so there's, there's, this is beautiful. There's no doubt that Jesus can do it. Isn't that cool? Which is usually where I stop. Can you do this? That wasn't the issue. And for a lot of us, maybe this is a little bit deeper. The issue isn't whether or not God can be God and do what God does. Here's often the question in our lives when we come to Jesus. Do you want to? Do you really want to? Am I, am I damaged goods? Have I blown it? Have I been full of leprosy for too long? Do you even, I know you can, God, but do you want, here's another way to say this, do you want me? Do you want me as I am? Do you want to perform a miracle on me as I am? And that's his question. That's his statement and profession of faith. 
before the Lord. And then it says, then, here's Jesus. You guys want to know what Jesus is like? Here's Jesus. Then Jesus moved with, notice this, compassion. Not obligation. Not social justice checklists. Move from the very core of his being. The language there for move with compassion, it, it describes, actually, it's interesting, an angry compassion. You ever had compassion that was like doubled together with anger? Where you're, 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 you're both broken for what you see in love, and yet at the same time, you're angry. You're filled with this indignation because of sin and the fall. This is Jesus when he sees you and me. He's not frustrated with this leper, moved with obligation. He's moved with compassion. His heart for the man causes Jesus to stretch out his hand and touch the untouchable. He touches him and he says to him, you better believe I am willing. And he says, be cleansed. And the miracle here is as soon as he had spoken, as soon as he said that, which is really cool. You know what this, you know what this means? Jesus didn't have to touch him. But as soon as he said it, that's when he was healed. He, he was healed the minute Jesus decided, I want you to be healed. But sometimes Jesus will go that extra mile just to assure us that he loves us. He'll give us his special touch to say, I'm here and I really do love you. And you're not just another person on my checklist of healing, you know, of my healing tour. <laughs> I love you enough to reach out my hand and touch you. He touches him and immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Wow. No wonder this guy disobeyed Jesus running around town telling everybody what Jesus did. In our day and age, he's doing it on his Instagram story. He's like, look at me! Look at what Jesus did. He's telling the whole world. What an incredible, powerful testimony. Now, here's a good question that we could ask ourselves. Obviously, again, the principle of this story is how Jesus receives an unreceivable cultural outcast that no one... Nobody was receiving this man, not only because of the stigma surrounding his leprosy, but because of their inability to do anything about it. I, we can't receive you. We won't and we can't. There's nothing we can do. And here's Jesus showing up, receiving the one who deems themselves and who culture the, ha, also has deemed unreceivable. Stuck in our condition. Now, what is the relevance and what's the application? For you and I, I mean, here we are. I mean, touching, amazing. That would make a great episode of the, the, the Chosen. I haven't actually watched the show yet. I'm sorry. I prom Can I still be your pastor again? Okay. Um, I, has there been an episode about this? Okay, perfect. I got to watch it then. All right. So obviously a touching scene. But what is the relevance? I mean, here we are in 2022 trying to follow Jesus. We got our own problems. Last time I checked, thank God, I don't think I have leprosy. Um, got some other issues. Anybody else? I got some things, all right? But, but what's the relevance of something like this? And I want you to see the connection that this story makes to your life right now immediately. That's Mark's word, immediately. In Scripture, all throughout especially the Old Testament, listen closely, leprosy is a picture of, of sin. A picture of sin. It's another kind of contagious disease. It's another kind of ailment that debilitates us. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 1 verse 4. Alas, God is speaking to Israel through the prophet Isaiah. Sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children, it's like God we get it, okay, children of corruptors, 
he's describing the sin of his, of his people. They've forsaken the Lord. They've provoked him to anger, the Holy One of Israel. They've turned away backward. This is sin, evil doing, being filled with iniquity, being corrupt, forsaking the Lord. That, that's a great description in and of itself of what sin is. Saying, God, I don't need you. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do relationships my way. I'm going to do business my way. I'm going to forsake your way and take my way. That's sin. I've forsaken the Lord. And I've turned away backward. From the very beginning, this is what humanity has been doing. Created to have relationship with God and dependence upon him and life with him. Our tendency is to turn away, get our elbow room, and do things on our own. This is the very heart of sin. But notice what God says. Look at the picture that he gives in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, why should you become stricken again? You revolt more and more. And he says this, the whole head of my people is what? Is sick. Sin here is described as a sickness. He goes on to say this, the whole heart faints, like someone who's been carrying this sickness for a long time, like a leper. From the soles of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Every person hearing the prophet speak knows exactly what God is talking about. He's talking about the consistent connection between leprosy and sin. Let me give a couple of parallels of what Scripture gives us. First, like leprosy, sin begins within. Leprosy is not this external issue. It's first an internal issue that manifests on the outside. And this is what Jesus also teaches about sin. You know, the Pharisees were the ones that Jesus said they cleansed the outside of the cup. Well, inwardly, they're filled with all sorts of filthiness and, 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 and uh, indulgence and sin. It's like that's not the way to do the dishes. <laughs> if you're going to drink out of it, you should wash the inside. But this is what religion does, Right? Religion takes care of the outside things. It doesn't deal with the heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart. It's the matter of the the heart. Jesus says, out of the heart that proceed everything that's wrong with us. Sin, like leprosy, is a condition that begins within. Not before everyone else, but, but before God in private, who you really are in the core of your being. That's where sin comes from. The way that we deal with sin is not behavior management, but it's heart transformation. That's what's going on here. Sin, like leprosy, spreads rapidly. Sin spreads rapidly. Forsaking the Lord breeds forsaking the Lord. Turning my back on God in one area breeds turning my back on God in more areas. Like leprosy, sin often starts, especially sin that really debilitates us in life, it often starts like a small spot, right? This small issue, and we're just kind of like, oh, instead of dealing with it, going to the priest, going to Jesus, we just kind of cover it up. You know, and you know, like my other issues, maybe if I just cover it up and ignore it, it'll go away. You ever done that with like a toothache before? And, and that's just not what happens. Same with sin. Sin is this thing that not only does it not Not only does it spread when you cover it up, but it's almost like it spreads more rapidly when it's in secret. It thrives in secret, like mold in the dark. Sin has this tendency to spread explosively when it's kept under concealment. Sin also separates. Like leprosy, sin isolates. It begins with with you 
pushing people away. And you might even be present in community, but you're not who you really are because you have to. And, and it, by the way, it's exhausting to constantly be working to cover up your brokenness. Isn't that so tiring? You know what's so much better being real and honest and broken as we all are before each other? It's so tiring trying to keep my best foot forward. But, but that's what sin does, especially when it's concealed. It separates itself. It separates itself in honesty and intimacy and vulnerability. Um, like your tendency to do life alone might have its root in sin. A sinful heart that doesn't want to be challenged by people that are different than you and stretched by people that are there by God to help you. So, so sin does that. It separates. And it, and it doesn't just separate us person to person. It separates us from God. Not his love. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. But we can separate ourselves from time with him. We could separate ourselves from worship. We could separate ourselves from intimacy. He doesn't move, but we do. Sin moves us away from God. Uh, lastly, sin defiles. Like leprosy, sin defiles. Sin, like leprosy, makes people unclean. This is exactly how David felt when he sinned with Bathsheba. His prayer to God was this, God, cleanse me. I feel dirty. I, I feel shame. I feel... Filthiness. These are the words of Isaiah. After chapter 1, he's talking about everybody else. This is usually how it goes. He's talking about everybody else's sin and everyone else's leprosy. And then here's what happens. He sees God, and he's no longer comparing himself to his neighbor, who he's a little bit better than. I'm going to go to heaven. Why? I'm not as much of a scumbag as my neighbor, okay? Scumbag. Is that a, that's not a church word. Sorry. I'm not as much of a sinful man like my neighbor. So... And we do this all day long. We compare our spiritual height and we compare our spiritual merit to one another and we let that be our identity and our standing before God. But who you, the truth of who you are isn't found in comparing yourself to the person sitting next to you. The truth of who you and I are is found in comparing ourselves to a holy standard that's represented in the person of God. So Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he goes, you know, woe are you, bunch of leprous sinners. He says this, woe is me. Okay, I saw God, and I, yeah, I got leprosy too, is what he says. He says, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, and now I see who I really am before him. This is where we all find ourselves, whether it's before we've come to Jesus. Let me, let me say this like very lovingly, and I hope helpfully. Even after we come to Jesus, um, Christians still sin. Did you know that? Do you know Christians sin? Did you know they do it a lot? A lot. You know, the longer Paul lived, um, the longer Paul lives, you follow the course of his life, um, it's not like the longer he walked with Jesus, the better he liked to look at himself in the mirror, you know? Oh, yeah, 10 years into this thing, 20 years, 30 years, end of my life, look at me. Just as holy rolling as it can get. It's the last letter of Paul's life that he says, this is a faithful saying, Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He goes, I'm the chief of whom I'm chief. Paul, day in and day out, came face to face as he continued to see the Lord of his need. 
came face to face with his need for Jesus. And so maybe you can relate. Listen, hopefully you can relate to this leper today. Maybe you felt like this leper, separated, unclean, stuck, and ultimately um, uncured. And your question to Jesus is the same question as this leper. Jesus, I know you can cleanse me from my sin. I know the VBS stories. I know the gospel. But here I am again after 20 years of walking with you with the same old leprosy. Do you want to forgive me again? Do you want to cleanse me again? I still got the same struggle. I'm still the same angry man I used to be. I'm still the same bitter woman I used to be. Here I am, and I know you can, but Jesus, are you willing? Do you still want me? Do you still want me as I am? And here's Jesus receiving the unreceivable. This is who he is. This is what he continues to do. This is who he is over your life this morning. Here's what 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says. It says, if we say that we have no sin, first mistake, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So that's step one. Like this leper, we've got to be poor in spirit before Jesus. We've got to know who we are in comparison to him. This is a daily process. When we get our eyes off Jesus, we get our eyes on ourselves, and we're the sauce. We, we're, you know, we're, we're better than this person, better than that person. Pride starts to creep in. We've got to be true before him. He knows us like no one knows, knows ourselves. So we've got to come to him honest about our condition like this leper. But if we come to him, if we confess our sins and our need for him. By the way, John is speaking to the church here. He is faithful and just to forgive forgiven sinners. He's faithful. These are Christians. He's faithful and just to cleanse the clean. <laughs> He's faithful and just over and over again to pour out his grace and his righteousness and his love and his cleansing work upon those who are struggling to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In, in verse 7, it says that it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. It's the blood of Jesus that makes us clean. We don't have to clean ourselves up and then come to Jesus. Isn't that good news? Like, can I tell you something? The Lord knew how messy you were going to be. He knows. And it's not so much that he's looking at you saying, stop being messy. He's saying this, Come to me. Don't let your messiness keep you from being cleansed by me. Come to me afresh. Receive my grace. If there is sin that's been secretive in your life, building, growing, decaying, debilitating you, causing you to separate in relationship from people, listen, Jesus is right here with you saying, come to me. Allow me to cleanse you. I'm here to receive the unreceivable. Amen? Amen? Lord, it's only you and your grace that's able to have us finish two more points in this sermon. And so we just beseech heaven and ask for an expedited work of your spirit here. In Jesus' name, amen. Number two. Russ is my accountability in preaching, and he's all, I'm always going to him and saying, Russ, can I get some feedback? And so every sermon is, how long was point one, Russ? How long was, okay? Oh, it was 50 minutes this week? Okay. Anyway. 
The second thing we see is not just how Jesus receives the unreceivable, we also see in this text something really beautiful, especially for us as Christians sent into this world to bring people to Jesus. We see the way that Jesus receives the unreachable. So you have the, unre- you, you have the unreceivable outcast, but then you have the unreachable outsider. We saw the story. Jesus comes back to Capernaum. He's in the house. He's preaching. Many gather together, and it's, it's just so packed out that there's no way to get near Jesus. People are, like, listening in through the window. People are playing telephone, saying, what is he saying? You know, and they're passing the message on. There was no live stream back then, you know. And so there, there's this crowd hearing Jesus preach, and there's this unreachable man outside. He's not unreachable because Jesus can't reach him, but he's unreachable because he can't reach Jesus. He's a paralytic. The issue isn't even that there's a line. It's, I can't get in the line, I'm a paralytic. He's an unreachable outsider. What an incredible story here, this unreachable outsider. Notice this. He's got four friends. Four friends, four nameless friends. And they come to Jesus and they bring this paralytic. This is really cool. It says this, they couldn't come near the house because of the crowd. So they go, okay, here's what we're going to do. In that, you know, one-story house in that culture, the, like the roof was kind of like a deck. You had beams that would go across, lay on the walls. You had all sorts of thatch and reed on the roof with this special mud and mortar that would keep it intact. And there would be these tiles or these, these clay-formed bricks upon the roof. And that was kind of like your, your deck. All right, that's where you go watch the 4th of July Israel show. I don't know what I'm saying right now, but you get what I'm saying. Beautiful place for a moonlight dinner. Not the place that anybody's going at the time of this preaching tour, at the time of this Bible study. Everybody's trying to, to, to cram in through the window or at least get a window spot where they can peek in. I mean, it's just packed out with people. And these friends, these friends so want to bring their friend to Jesus that they climb up on the roof. And they actually, they do some hard work. They begin to, uh, this is not easy, to uncover the roof brick by brick. This is cemented, strong um, construction here that they're now working to unload to get this man in. And it says, I love this verse, look at this, when they had broken through. That doesn't happen overnight sometimes. That breakthrough takes time. It takes work for that relationship. When they broke through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And we saw the account where Jesus forgives their sins and, or his sins. And then Jesus proves that he can forgive sin. He has the power. So he says, get up and walk. Now, I want you to notice something that's really amazing. I actually don't have the scripture on me here. But if you look at verse, oh, here, it's in my, I can always use my Bible, right? That's a good idea, Andrew. Okay. So verse five in Mark two says this, when Jesus saw whose? Their faith. It was their faith that led to this guy's miracle. Isn't that incredible? It was their faith that led to the breakthrough in this other person's life. What a friend. This unreachable person was reached by Jesus because of the willingness of four friends to walk the long road to get that person there. That's faith. Like, because, come on, like, you know what they could have done? They could have been like, 
What's the paralytic's name? Give me a name. Jack. Jack. Is that what he said? Thank you. Jack the paralytic. He's all jacked up, right? Sorry, Jack. Gosh, I'm almost going to need another name because now I'm just going to use puns the whole time I'm talking. I, it's, like a, it's like my leprosy is puns. So, 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 so you have Jack and you go, Jack, he, he's healed a leper. He's cast out demons. He's opened blind eyes. He's doing the miraculous. If he, Jack, if he can cleanse a leper, you can take up your bed. If he can do it for them, he can do it for you. So, so Jack, let, let's go. Let's go see Jesus. They get there, they go. It's like Disney World, right? It's like no fast pass. Packed. There's no way I'm getting into this restaurant, right? Oh, my gosh. We don't know anybody to get a special seating. We didn't call ahead. We didn't make, did you make reservations? No. What? Come on, you know? Now, you know what they could have done? They could have gone, well, looks like Jack is a paralytic, you know? Like, they could have just gone, you see, Jack, there's an obstacle between you and Jesus, and, well, I hope it works out for you. And then they go, well, we can go on the roof, but then they got to go, oh, wait. We could get on the roof easy, but how are we going to jack him up there? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> how is it possible to get this paralytic, like, we've got to, he's, he's on like a pallet, and we've got to carry him up on the, on the roof. And then they get up on the roof, and they're like, how are we going to get through? And then they get through, and they go, okay, we've got to lower him down. Does anybody have it? Like, do you see the loving service of these friends that are willing to go the extra, 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 extra mile for this person? And how many of us in our relationships, in our friendships, we stop at the first obstacle? Well, I want to bring you to Jesus, but it looks like you're not going to get there because you have really hard questions. Well, I want to bring you to Jesus, but it looks like you're not going to get there because you have really severe childhood trauma and or, you know, I really, I long for you to come to know Jesus, but I, I don't think there's any way because you're so steeped in secularism. So it's like, I feel like the church has largely given up. We're out fighting moral wars now. I'm trying to moralize our nation. And I get that out of love. I have kids that are going to be raised in this country. But who's the paralytic in your life? And God's put you in their life for them to come to Jesus. And aren't you glad that Jesus didn't drop you at the first obstacle? Like, I'm, I'm thankful for the people God's put in my life. There's seasons of my life where Andrew Lundy is nothing more than dead weight. You ever felt that way? And I'm walking with Jesus right now, not because of my own strength, because I have brothers, I have four nameless servants who are willing to carry me to Jesus when I can't get there myself when I'm unreachable in my own way. You know, this is the description of what the church is meant to be first for each other. We're meant to be those that, listen, long suffer in love. We're willing to go what it takes until we get that breakthrough. We're willing to carry the weight, bear one another's burdens, and you need it too. And let me say, like, this is what the church is called to for the outside watching world. 
like, everyone's, I feel like everyone's dusting their feet off in the American context. Like, it's just, it's a a post-Christian, you know, this is the first generation in American history that's mostly non-Christian. Did you know that? Did you know that? Gen Z, majority non-Christian. First time. Non-Christian culture. It's where we're headed. We can enjoy our, our little attractional church time for a couple more years, have our fun, sing our songs, but if there's a future of, a ch- of the church in America, we've got to get our heart back. We've got to start wanting what Jesus wants for people. We've got to see them beyond whatever identity they have, whatever politic they have. We've got to be like these friends who say, look, I see you have obstacles to faith, but I'm with you. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Because I believe in the power of the gospel. I've experienced the power of the gospel, and I want you to experience it too. I mean, this, is, there, is there a better description of a Christian? Nameless servants here to bring people to Jesus. Like, have you framed the purpose of your life under that calling? Whatever you're doing, whatever your job, that's, it's all meaningful. It's for the kingdom. It's, I, I believe right where you are is, is right where God's called you. But ultimately, we as a church exist to be just, we're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're here to be like one of the four nameless men who exist to bring people to Jesus, to go through whatever it takes. Like, so for me, um, it, it, like, I believe for, for the church, what this means is we've got to be willing to listen to people and go, what are you, like, here's ministry. What are your obstacles that are keeping you from Jesus? Let me, let, let me not assume I have all the answers and just get, let me hear, where are you at? And let's work through those. Let's talk through those. Like, here's, here's, here's one, ready? Let's be honest about our own obstacles in faith. Let's start to be real about the challenges that our people are, are facing, whether it has to do with church hurt, whether it has to do with theology. I mean, this is, this is a hard book. It's really big. It's bound in leather, right? It's filled with a lot of historical context. There are issues, there are obstacles that we've got to be willing to face. It, it, it requires this. It requires, first and foremost, an evaluation of our hearts saying, Jesus, do I want people to come to know you? Do I, do I actually care anymore? Do I lo- am I will- That'll be displayed in how far I'm willing to go. And secondly, do I care enough to do the hard work, to walk with them through it as long as it takes, as hard as it is, even if I, even if I don't have all the answers, I'm going to devote myself to be like Paul. Paul was a guy who said, though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. This is Paul's purpose in life, that I might win the more. I just see myself as a servant. What does that look like? That means, you know, to the Jews, I, I become a Jew, that I might win the Jews. Whatever, I got to get into their culture to know what's keeping them from Jesus, and I got to bring the gospel of Jesus into that context. To those who are under the law, I'll come under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, I love Paul's parenthetical comments, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. Here's a good one. To the weak, I'm going to become weak. That's called meekness. You might have spiritual strength and knowledge, but I'm going to stoop down to your level. And I'm gonna, can, I can impress you with what I know, but I can connect with you in my weakness. So I, I'm going to become weak. I have become all things to all men that I might, by all means, save some. Now I do this for the gospel's sake. Isn't that beautiful? And it's like, today in the church, we're like this. 
here's what, it, here's what you got to do. Here's our thing. We're this. You got to come into here. Oh, oh, there's an obstacle for you coming here because of your cultural background? You're, sorry. But Paul's like, no, for the gospel's sake, I'm going out there. I'm going to be like Jesus. Jesus, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood and figured out the language and had a heart to reach people. Amen? So we'll invite the worship team up for this last one. Lastly, this is where it all comes to a head for us in our, in our own struggle knowing Jesus and the mission he's given us to bring people who are far from him to him. Lastly, we, we see Jesus laid out really plainly about the way that he receives the unreasonable. <laughs> like that, that's the text there. The Pharisees are reasoning within themselves. A lot of reasoning going on. They got all their reasons of, the, of why Jesus would save one person and not another. They have all their, their, they're using their reasoning to determine who Jesus would receive and who he shouldn't. They're reasoning among themselves. They, they employ their reason when they say Jesus, he's out for a walk by the sea because he's Jesus and he's awesome. That's just cool. And the multitudes are coming to them. He teaches them. He passes by and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. It would be unreasonable for this guy to be a disciple. He's a, he's a betrayer of his countrymen, sold out for the state for a buck. Jesus says, follow me. And he arose and followed him. I love this. All these other sinners, they come. They come to Jesus too. Jesus... Um, Jesus mag magnetized irreligious, sinful people. If we're going to be like Jesus, there should, now I'm not saying become worldly. I'm not saying that. Greg Laurie says, you know, we don't cross over without bringing the crossover. I like that. But is there something about the way I lead my life in humility and love, like Jesus, that a sinner is comfortable around me to the extent that they can receive the love and grace? Now, we're going to see Jesus calls the sinners to what? Repent. That's part of his invitation. We're not saying water down the gospel, but we're saying grow our hearts for people the way Jesus' heart is. and The approachability of Jesus. And... The Pharisees, they were obviously, yeah, really, really attractive guys, weren't they? Um, they were like, they were sinner repellent, you know? And they go, here's the question, how is it, Jesus, that you're a friend of sinners? How is it that, that it's so unreasonable? You're the Messiah, right? You're, why would you call these guys to be your disciples? You know, it's unreasonable to think that God would want these kinds of people as his children, that God would want these kinds of people as Christians. I mean, here's the question they're asking. Jesus, do you know who they are? Do you know what they've done? Do you know what they continue to do? Do you, do you know, and you're sitting down and you're befriending them and you're allowing them to follow you as broken as they are? And here's Jesus' answer. He said, well, of course I am. Because I'm a physician. I'm here sent by God for the sick. Jesus is the great physician who comes 
The reason why he, he comes to receive you and I, the unreasonable, the unreachable, the unreceivable, the reason why Jesus welcomes us as we come to him from every direction is that's the very purpose why he came for you and me. Jesus says, those who are well don't need a, don't need a doctor, but those who are sick. And he's not saying, by the way, he's not saying to the Pharisees, you're fine. You don't need the doctor. What he's calling out is the honesty of the sinners to know their need for him. The Pharisees were masking their sickness with religion. But Jesus came, even for the Pharisee and the prostitute alike, to call sinners to repentance, to receive the sick in their state, to cure them and make them whole. Um, Jesus is the best doctor. Whatever your sickness is, Jesus, have you had any like new physicians recommended to you in the past couple years? I want to recommend Dr. Jesus. Wonderful practice. Jesus is the only doctor that can serve your need. It's why sinners were around him. It's why sinners come to him. It's why you should come to him. He came for you. He's the perfect doctor. Um, He's always available. Walk-ins, welcome. He's always there. Scriptures say, come boldly to the throne of grace that you might obtain mercy and, your, and grace to help in your time of need. Whatever your time of need is, he's always there. You don't, have to, you don't even have to make an appointment. There's no waiting room. No tabloids. Okay. He's always correct about what's wrong, perfectly diagnose us. You ever had a doctor kind of go, I think this is what's wrong, and you're like, okay, thanks. Why am I here? I should have Googled my symptoms. That always works out. David says, Lord, you've searched me, and you know me. When I come to you with my sickness, you're like, yeah, I know. I know, what, I know what, where, where it's coming from, even. I know the cause of it. Jesus, he's always available. He's always correct about what's wrong. And Jesus provides the perfect cure. Only Jesus. Not only is he right about what's wrong, but he doesn't give you eight treatment plans. He provides himself to you. He says, I'm the cure. Turn from that. Come to me. Because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to become that on the cross. Here's your cure. I'll take your sickness into my very body. I'll become sick, though I'm healthy. I'll become sick so that you who are sick can become healthy, so that you can be cured. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 24, that he bore our sins in his own body on that tree, that we, having died to sins, we might now live for righteousness. You are whole in Jesus, absolutely cured in him. Still struggling, still in need of repentance, still in need of coming and confessing and receiving that fresh forgiveness. But he's provided your cure through the cross. The perfect physicians, I love this, he even pays the medical bill. It's by his stripes that we're healed. He covers the doctor fees. He pays every last penny so that you can be convinced beyond a shadow of the doubt, listen, that wherever you are today, here's the question, whatever direction you're coming from, I don't know where you are, you know where you are. Like, you know where you are, and you know where Jesus is, and you know the thing that's keeping you from him. You know the distance. 
You know the direction. And here's what Jesus affirms to you this morning. The person who comes to me, I will never cast out. So Jesus says, come to me.